Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to a let's be honest, just Jonda LBD crossover, extra special, whatever you want to call it. We knew that we had to come on tonight. News broke this afternoon that made me go, how many shows do I need to catch up on with this? But you know what? We're here and we are going to go with it. And in this particular case, we are going to be talking about Jen Shah. Now, if you listen to this show, you have definitely heard of Jen Shaw. Now, we were hoping that you wouldn't hear about her on a legal extra, but hell, over the past month, let's say anything is possible. When I heard she was arrested, to be honest, I thought that it was related to stories that emerged about a screaming match that she got into with the person who styled her for the reunion. Now, if I'm going to be perfectly honest, there was a whole other set of reasons why they, I don't know what they were fighting about that day, but based on what she looked at, like at the reunion, I would have fought the stylist the hair person, the makeup person, but that's an entirely different thing. Apparently, that is not what this is all about. So our girl, Jen Shaw, who, lover or hater, definitely was a large part of why we watched this show. And again, by this show, I'm talking about The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, because even with all of her over-the-top antics, what were the other folks really doing? I mean, there's Heather's story was interesting and we liked her, although at the reunion wasn't terribly pleased. Hi, Stephanie. Um, and of course we like Whitney. I mean, there were likable characters on the show, but for what Housewives has become in terms of it being less about lifestyles of the rich Housewives and the famous and more so about what they have, you really, um, it, you're not, it, you're not getting that from, from them. I mean, they would show you what they have, but it was really more so about the drama. I mean, even the stuff with Mary Cosby, a lot of the conversations we had about Mary Cosby were really more so about the things that we found out about her before and during the series, but not really much of what she showed. I mean, we saw her in a couple of wacky outfits and she had a couple of good moments, but again, nothing to carry the season, especially given that she was not, she was trying so hard to not share very much of her life. So whether you like it or not, this was definitely the Jin Shaw show. So a little bit of at least what we thought we knew about Jin Shaw is that she is uh, she was married, married businesswoman. She never said that she was a housewife, despite being on the housewife show. She's a married businesswoman. What we thought we saw was sort of um, she did mention marketing, and I had read that somewhere as well that um, she was into marketing. Of course, my stuff is acting up on the screen. Okay, there we go. Stephanie, also, if you call in, you got to use your 
um, use your phone and also have your earphones on. And that's for anybody. If you want to call in, make sure uh, it works out better if you have uh, if you have your earphones on. Otherwise, we're going to get a lot of feedback. Um, but I am absolutely welcoming your calls. Okay, so um, she is married to a man named Sharif Shaw, who she met in college. They had the college romance. They married. He played football, obviously wanted to do more, got injured. And then from my research and looking things up, he appears to have uh, worked in law and then decided he wanted to um he was an attorney and then decided he wanted to go back to football. And he is um, on the coaching staff at one of the Utah schools. So not at home as often that became a part of their storyline. Now, don't get me wrong. Unlike other people, I'm not giving him any passes. No, no pun intended on this, because when I talk about it, it's too wide and too pervasive. They have, I believe, two sons. If I'm incorrect about that, somebody hit me in the chat. And again, feel free with your messages because I'll read your messages live. And um, handsome boys. So look like they have a, a decent home. Yes, she had a lot of antics on the show. I've watched these shows for years. So I take the antics with a grain of salt. And it's not about whether or not I like the character. I just don't always believe what I see when it comes to the things that go on the show. Well, today we all were like, what? When an unsealed indictment uh, was made public along with Jen being arrested and um, expected to appear in federal court in Utah, it's not clear whether or not she appeared today or will be appearing tomorrow or something as it relates to arraignment. So I'll tell you the charges and then I'm going to break the charges down because that is why you come and hang with your favorite legal, as I call it, your black legal eagle. Um, that is why you come and hang with Just Jonda, especially when we do these LBDs, legal breakdown. Um, although this one's a little combined with our normal news. So I am going to get into the indictment and really try to make some sense of it for you because it is um, it's it seems quite convoluted, but I believe I got the gist of what went on here. Doesn't help that I've known people who've been convicted of this. Don't even get me started with that story. So she is charged with two very serious counts. These are in federal court. This situation allegedly went on in multiple states, including New York. So the indictment actually came down in the United States District Court for the Southern District of New York, because we know Southern District of New York does not play games. Remember that, Donald Trump. So she's charged with wire fraud or conspiracy to commit wire fraud. And she's also charged with conspiracy to commit money laundering. And the reason why, because um, I'm not going to uh, assume that people know things that you just may not, this is charged as a conspiracy is because, well, she's not the only one, but that's where it really gets interesting. So remember the guy, Stuart, um, 
I think she even called him Stu something because he was dancing and, and something. But the white guy, Stuart, that we all said, okay, I get it. If someone wants to be an assistant and even a celebrity assistant, sometimes they're older. But this person is no celebrity. And I mean, yeah, this is her first season on a Bravo show. But even if you do have an assistant, would you have a personal assistant who looked like he was in his 50s? He's probably in his 40s, but he, you know, just looks old. Well, it's all beginning to make sense why Stu was her number one assistant. And yes, I'm using air quotes here because he was more based on this indictment. And this is all alleged, allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. Based on this indictment, he was more of an accomplice than an assistant. So let's get into it. From on or about or in or about 2012. Yes, folks, I am not reading that backwards. 2012. <laughs> yes. Since on or about 2012, Jen's, um, I guess, what are we going to call them? She and her assistant, Stuart Smith, the defendants, together with others known and unknown, and they don't put the other individuals in the indictment, although very interesting, Jennifer and Stu are listed in this indictment together. So their fortunes, <clears throat> excuse me, until they decide, had to do a drink of water there, their fortunes until they decide to turn on each other are definitely linked. So it, we definitely can see, at least at this point, that they are being viewed as a pair. No doubt there. Okay, so they were involved. Now, I'm going to tell you the scheme because reading this isn't going to get you anywhere. So what it appears to have, uh, what it appears that they did was a scheme that ultimately defrauded old people. Most of the leads, and, and I'm saying older people, uh, shouldn't say old people considering my age, um, people 55 and up were the primary target. So uh, this is already, if it makes you feel a little gross, it should, because seniors have enough problems without being the deliberate targets. And if you hear a little clicking, um, I'm sorry about that, guys but I had this on my tablet. I'm pulling it up on my computer because it is very, very small. Hello, we have some people in with a lot of initials. So I'll say hello, HFX and hello, Miss KBD71. So what we have here is a scheme where Jen Stewart, or Stu, and whomever else they were involved with, and, and it will kind of become clear in a little in a little bit, had some kind of fake business. Because the crazy thing about this is it appears that nothing about it was real. So we're not even talking about 
a Ponzi type situation where you can sort of give this one some money over that one. No, this appears to be a scheme that was purely profit for the schemers. And it also had some elements of uh, that a pyramid structure as well. But given that they aren't charged with running a pyramid scheme, because that is illegal, then it obviously didn't have the full structure of a pyramid scheme, which requires that you have the people like in your downlines bringing in other people. So they didn't have that part. This situation seemed to be one where everything sort of flowed to the top. And that's what makes it very confusing. I mean, I think I read like literally this one paragraph in the indictment probably like six times and I'm still struggling to explain it to you. But like I said, I think you got it. So hang in with me. So they sold these elderly people on an alleged business plan. Now the indictment because we're still early in the process doesn't spell out totally what the business plan was that is going to be spelled out more once we get a hold of an affidavit because typically there is an affidavit filed in these types of cases that really breaks it down you don't just hand up a bunch of charges without anything to back it up so um, some of this, I'm trying to fill in the blanks just from what I know about these types of schemes and, and just in law practice in general, but we need to get a hold of the affidavit. And of course, I will certainly bring you another episode that is going to break this down even more, kind of like when we did the episode on the um, Erica Jane and Tom Girardi case, which still have a lot to talk about there where there was a little bit more meat and potatoes in that because you uh, we read the actual complaint. So here it's very high level. The um, This is just enough so that they can actually be charged to get the case moving along. But just like we saw in the Varsity Blues case, there will definitely be um, some type of affidavit type document that will be filed by the officers uh, or agents who were the primary investigators on the case. It's typically they just it, take their report and, and flip it and, and turn it into an affidavit. And gosh, if they do, I really hope that whoever writes it is as good as the person that wrote the one for Operation Varsity Blues, because I tell you, that was 200 and some odd pages of one of the best crime novels I've ever read. I, I mean, you literally forgot that you weren't reading like a book on Kindle. So anyway, what they did was, like I said, they sold them on a business. So let's say I contacted one of you. I'm going to use uh, Miss KBD71. Hope still in the room. I'm going to use you. Um, I contact you because they got these leads. Let me know if you're still here. And I, I say, look, I've got this business opportunity to, for you to have an online business that belongs to you. So 
let's say this online business is some kind of e-commerce, you're going to be selling flower buds or something, but it's an online business. Now, mind you, some of these elderly people, because they weren't all like just 55, some of these individuals were elderly to the point of not even owning a computer. But sadly, this also says something about the state of the world that we're living in because you know we have elderly people out there as we know who are so desperate for an additional source of income that they were like okay fine sell me anything so those individuals then went on to, uh, those individuals then went on to um buy this business or or whatever and when they purchased it, they paid X number of dollars, but then Jen and Stuart and whomever else in this network would then call them. And when they called them, they would say, okay, well, in addition to the fact that you bought this business, now we need to take it to the next level. And you guys need to buy business plans that help you to continue to run this business. I'm going to sell you something that keeps all of this moving for you. Now, first of all, business didn't exist. And then on top of the fact that the business itself <laughs> didn't exist, you also had the fact uh, you also had the fact that individuals were um, individuals were taking money for giving you enhancements to the business that did not exist. So very very um convoluted but convoluted in a way that certainly worked for the people who were doing it and they arranged like several layers they called them floors um in the indictment they arranged several layers of this so it made it even more confusing i can't imagine it wasn't a nightmare trying to contact people it looks like they did move some money around to maybe give a little here or there to a couple of folks that maybe they were concerned would get out of it i would imagine that they had some folks that had bought pretty deep into it and wanted to keep them on the hook the other thing that uh, Jen and Stuart did. Great question. I'm going to come back to that because I definitely have some theories about that, Miss uh, KBD, about the husband, because he hasn't been charged with anything. So we know what's going to happen here, right? It'll be the whole Phaedra and Apollo thing. Uh, I, all of this was going on and I didn't know about it. I, for one, didn't believe it with Phaedra and Apollo. And I'm here to tell you now there, he's never going to be able to convince me if you all are convinced fine that he didn't know about this. It's, it is just too outrageous, too complicated. There was a lot of paperwork involved, shell companies, all kinds of stuff that was in, that was involved in this, that, um, 
I'm going to talk a little bit more about that's why I really, really can't wait to get a hold of the affidavit, because, again, some of these blanks I, I have to kind of fill in just from my own knowledge of, of seeing, <clears throat> excuse me, fraud cases and how they generally work, especially in, in situations like this and from what they did say. But as I said, this affidavit is good when we see it or whatever is going to be attached to this indictment is going to be some good stuff. And I'm sure it already exists, but this indictment was actually under seal until today. So I would bet, which is even crazier, that this investigation has been going on for quite some time and probably the entire time that the show was on the air. As we often say about the feds, the feds don't usually like to bring cases unless they feel like they can win them. And that's why they take so long to investigate them and then practically have, you know, umpteen Bibles worth of information by the time they get around to indicting you. There isn't a whole lot. It, it's kind of like dealing with your parent who says to you, there's nothing that you have that you're trying now that I don't already know about. Well, that's kind of like the feds. I mean, there's there's not a whole lot that you're going to tell me that I don't already know about unless there really is something that's specific and I'm using you to get to whomever the next person is that I'm trying to get to. And I know who that person is too. I just need you to help me get there. Um, because again, you're dealing with the feds. No, I mean, which is even, even when you're dealing with the state, it's a big deal. But when you're dealing with the feds, we're talking about the full resources of the law enforcement of the United States federal government. These were charges that were, you know, put together by the Department of Justice in coordination with, you know, fraud agents and everything. I mean, it's, this was very messy, but obviously um, a reason why it was put together this way and obviously put under seal because people know who she is. Not everybody, but um, when it comes to uh, newspapers, gossip rags, bloggers, everybody, because nowadays everybody is a reporter, anybody who wants to get the stories first have sources everywhere. And they also um, pay attention and have access to a lot of the same things like someone like myself would, except uh, they take the time to put in, um, to put in, what do you call those things? Put in ticklers, if you will, to let them know if someone's name is going to pop. And S.D. Rogers, uh, who I believe is still on here, and I'm going to have her come on one of these days to speak about this, just even in terms of from the bond perspective and how people who do that kind of work know damn near when you do that you got arrested. So it, it makes sense that this was under seal, probably in large part because of her name. So back to the case, but uh, I'm sorry before I get back to that, but Miss uh, KBD, Right now, there's nothing indicated in the charges, at least, or just the mere fact that he wasn't charged, 
that say he did that says he knew or didn't know and mums the word from everybody i checked right before i came on the air and i don't know if it's straight from the halls of bravo or folks just have enough sense to keep their mouth closed and stay out of it um which i think is probably part of it as well but everybody at least all of her castmates nobody's making comments according to um the last source i looked at right before i came on the air nobody is making comments support non-support nothing mum's the word N bravo reached out for comment mum's the word same thing obviously with her husband um and they literally went castmate by castmate and they were like we we reached out to so and so and so and so so that's the blackout i would not be surprised if and and personally if i were associated with the show i would be good with it if bravo is saying look if there's any statement to be made especially if you all want to stay on this show or us even have a show then everybody just needs to shut up let us get our people our legal our pr on this to uh determine what we will or won't say what we're comfortable with in terms of what we will or won't say and everybody else just be quiet of course it does it serves her husband no purpose whatsoever nobody in her family serves no good purpose for any of them to speak for obvious reasons so you know long short did he know uh, let's just say my spidey senses refuse to accept that he didn't felt that way with phaedra and apollo and he gets no passes from me here no pun intended because of the whole football thing okay so the charges themselves because now that you know basically what the scheme was how does this translate into charges well you know i got it for you and i took a deep dive to actually get the penalties and and everything for you now the first one is the ugliest one <laughs> for sure because the first charge she is charged with um count one is wire fraud and again i'm sorry for the clicking but i'm i'm using the computer and recording at the same time is wire fraud under 18 uh, united states code usc uh 1343 right off the break i'll tell you that charge carries up to 20 years but i'll get a little deeper into that so this she this is a, and it's conspiracy which carries the same penalty she's charged with conspiracy in concert with others uh that um and it, it says whosoever uh having devised or intending to devise any scheme or artifice to defraud or for obtaining money or property by means of false or fraudulent pretenses representations or promises so that's the stuff they told him on the phone transmitted by means of wire radio or television communication that also includes the internet you got to remember these things were written before them but wire does include uh does include the internet in interstate or foreign commerce that's why it's federal as soon as you step outside of your own state it's federal and because this was wire obviously you know you can call anywhere 
you can send a message anywhere. Well, those calls and those messages going anywhere, what happens? You're already uh, crossing boundaries, crossing straights, crossing state lines. So um, let's see. All right. So any writing, sign, sig uh, signals, all of that. But the purpose, and that's where we come from, for the purpose of executing the scheme. Now, this is where you get what I told you earlier. This is the underlying crime. This is the fact that they contacted these individuals. It doesn't even matter what the crap was because that they told them they were selling them this online business opportunity. They are referring to that. Whatever this online business opportunity was that it's clearly fake and, uh, you know, and there's rabbit holes that they went down with layers and floors and all of that. But the bottom line is this online business opportunity, as I mentioned earlier, let's say it's selling flower buds. This is the piece that covers that. You knew it was fake. There was never any intention to provide whomever these victims were with anything. And so that's the underlying crime that everything else is going to stem from. That offense alone can be fined and the person can receive a fine or in prison for not more than 20 years. So that's the biggie. But this is where it gets worse. And let's face it, for most of us who have parents, we don't necessarily have a problem with that. There is an enhanced penalty for wire fraud, as it, and, and it was actually um, put together partially uh, because of Social Security Act. So there is an enhanced penalty, as we know, senior citizens and, uh, you know, and they consider kids under 10 as well, are at more of a disadvantage when it comes uh, when it comes to schemes and frauds, you ever notice even when you see those reverse mortgage commercials is always someone older trying to appeal to older people. Everybody in the commercial is older. They don't have to tell you um, we're trying to convince old people to do this and screw up the money that they've already um, screw up the equity they already have in their house. We already know. So because of such schemes that we know for many years has been targeted towards seniors, there is an enhanced penalty here that if the individuals that were sought out, and there's two parts of this and, and they are listing both of them for Jen and Stu, that if as a part of this scheme, they, the individuals who were alleged victimized were um, 10, you know, that they victimized 10 or more people over the age or of 55, or just that they targeted people over the age of 55, they can be imprisoned. It said, shall be imprisoned for a term of up to 10 years in addition to any term of imprisonment imposed under any of the sections respectively. So they have a list of enumerated sections. One of those sections is 1343. So the crime of wire fraud has attached to it 
a potential enhanced penalty. Two enhancements, as a matter of fact, a term up to five years in addition to that 20 and a term up to 10 years. Now, what does this tell us? Does this mean that Jen Shaw is going to go to jail if she's convicted? It doesn't necessarily mean that. But the more time that these charges carry when you are charged with something like this and you don't have some kind of a deal made otherwise, the bigger the chance is that in addition to the tens and possibly even hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines and forfeitures that are coming your way that you very well could be facing time. These And when it comes to these enhancements in particular, the law does not take kindly to anybody going after what is considered to be our most vulnerable. And seniors fall into that category. And, you know, we just don't do enhancements that we're not going to in some way attempt to enforce. So that's a pretty scary thing for them. If she doesn't have any record, then high ponds, if she doesn't have any record, She's, you know, as far as getting lots of fine and little time and lots of probation, that's usually pretty much to be expected. And, you know, you go to club fed and all of that. But when you start dealing with enhancements and those enhancements are based on the fact that your scheme not only involved, but specifically targeted people that are considered to be in a vulnerable group and not one or two, but by the truckload, that's even more problematic. And one thing I, I think I forgot to mention when I was just giving you all the overall scheme earlier, another piece of this that Jen and Stu are charged with in particular, and again, some of the other people maybe as well, but they specifically mentioned in the indictment that it seems like this was um, something that was a part of um, a part of Jen and Stu's contribution to the whole scheme. At least that's definitely the way that I read it, is that they would generate lists of leads. So this wasn't just a Jen and Stu thing. This is them as a part of an entire little criminal enterprise going on with whomever their partners were. And of course, they needed to, just like any other good telemarketer, but, you know, not always illegal, they generate lists because obviously you got to come up with who to call. You don't have a good scheme if you don't have your targets in mind, locked and loaded and ready to go. And you don't have a good scheme if your person, it, who, the other individuals who are with you are just blind calling and whatever. And that also is another way to get caught. You deal with younger people, you deal with, uh, you know, millennials or even post-millennials, people more educated, what have you. Not that these seniors aren't, but again, when you get to folks in a certain age, vulnerable in age, vulnerable in income, it's, you know, it no matter, you could have a PhD and if they're 75 and they don't know how they're going to pay for their meds and you get somebody that 
talks them into a possible great business opportunity, then they may go for it. I can think of a couple of seniors that I might need to be looking at their phones and it's not because they're stupid. Um, it's because they might be a little bit desperate and vulnerable. They don't necessarily understand this stuff. It sounds complicated. It sounds interesting, but you seem like a good person and okay, so I'm going to give you this money because of course it's all about money. So that, so anyway, that's what I was saying. They generated these lists. Now, the money laundering piece, they also say that Jen and Stu, so again, people say she's crazy like a fox because which I said the entire season. So they set up a, uh, we might as well call them shell corporations, uh, companies not in their own names, not necessarily in their own states, even foreign bank accounts. So now you see what I'm saying when I said this investigation didn't just start yesterday, last week or whatever. This investigation could have very well been going on at the very least the entire time that we watched them on the air when this show aired. I want to say it started maybe last week of October, first week of November, could have even been going, the investigation could have even been going longer than that. Now they did most of the filming for the show in 2019. They, the only thing that they actually filmed post that time was um, some of the, you know, maybe some of the diaries that they do when they're sitting in the room alone. And then of course the reunion, all the shows do their reunions about three or four weeks before the final episodes air because they want the women to have an opportunity to get good and pissed off again by seeing the episodes air, seeing social media. There's there's a whole method to the madness that I'm sure most of you have figured out by now. But any at any rate, there was just a whole thing going on because they had to move this money around. You got money coming in that you can't explain. You have to move this money around. And apparently it was a lot of money because one of the uh, pieces of the indictment specifically said that some of the money was moved around in a way to not, uh, to not flag reporting. Now, one of the things that we learned in, in white collar crime is that there is a certain amount of money, and I think a lot of people probably know this, certain amount of money that if you deposit in the bank uh, in cash, they're going to flag it. And um, and actually over the years, because of people use wire wiring more and more, it may not even necessarily be just cash anymore. But definitely um, this, there's a certain amount and that amount is $10,000. So there is um, a practice that people have done over the years and it's called smurfing. It's, I, I remember it because it's just such a cute little name. Um, it's called smurfing where obviously you put in amounts less than that, like especially if you're a drug dealer or if you're doing some other type of crime, particularly white collar crime, because drug, drug dealers aren't the only ones who move the vast amounts of money around. So for them to specifically mention in uh, this 
in, in this convoluted paragraph that there were also some uh, that there's also evidence of them putting in amounts that was less than a triggering amount that means they were that tells me they were moving large amounts of money it also tells me they were they were moving large amounts of money it not necessarily all the time but that there were at least some times when they moved large amounts and had to move it quickly because if i deposit eight thousand dollars on friday and then I don't deposit another six or seven thousand dollars until two or three weeks from now. That doesn't necessarily mean that I'm smurfing. And unless I have a pattern of that over the course of every three, two or three weeks for months, again, hence creating a pattern and I'm being investigated for something else, there's no reason to really think that that's what I'm doing, or at the very least, I've got some damn good uh, plausible deniability. And then you add to that, depending on what I do for a living, it, like if I'm an event planner or something like that, and I get paid in large chunks when I get deposits, you know, there's lots of jobs. But And even being an attorney, I mean, we take deposits and, um, uh, for deposits from people uh, all the time. It's a down payment on their case. And sometimes, depending on the type of case, it could be a hell of a lot of money. I mean, you know, you pay me for a, a retainer for a murder. Well, it's going to be a hell of a lot more than $10,000. But at the same time, if it's not a case that rises to that level, well, I'm not charging you quite that much, which means your retainer is going to be lower. So there's certainly reasons why people would have thousands of dollars going in and out of their account, but not quite reaching the reporting threshold. Why did I say all that? That tells me that there were times that within a sh very short period of time, they were deposit depositing lots of money and still smurfing it. And so when this investigation was going on, it made it obvious for the feds on when that was happening so that they can at least add that there was a pattern of that. And that is a form of part of money laundering as well. And of course, the different corporations and all of that. Now, that uh, that offense, because there is a bit of an enhancement added on to that one as well. So this, the punishment for this one, a little messy, but I pulled it together. So in this case, whoever knowing that the property involved in a financial transaction represents the proceeds of some form of illegal activity. So the illegal activity is the wire fraud. That's why I went over the wire fraud first because that is the illegal activity that everything's gonna keep bouncing off of. So no different than in the drug dealing, you would have the money, money laundering, obviously to clean the drug money. So same thing, that underlying crime being the drugs. So it, it, anyway, you represent the proceeds of that unlawful activity or conduct 
and you do a financial transaction, which in fact involves the proceeds of that unlawful activity. And you know that it is in it is designed in whole or in part to avoid a transaction. And most of this I'm reading right from 18 USC 1956 to avoid a transaction reporting to avoid a reporting requirement under the state or federal law shall be sentenced to a fine of not more than $500,000. These fines are high as hell or twice the value of the property involved in the transaction, whichever is greater. Okay, so if the property involved in the transaction was $200,000, then doubling that would be $400,000, they would go with the $500,000 fine because that's greater or imprisonment for not more than 20 years or both. So again, we're talking a lot of time and a lot of money. Now, the enhancements, whoever in any of the circumstances set forth above knowingly engages or attempts to engage in the monetary transaction that was derived um, criminally, um, and that transaction is greater than $10,000, they shall be punished as provided in subsection B. The punishment for an offense under this section is imprisonment for not more than 10 years, um, of course, a fine or both. And the, the court, of course, can impose an alternate fine to what is imposable uh, in the earlier one or not twice the amount again. So we get into that. It moves further into this part's obvious, so I won't make a big deal out of it. It is the forfeiture proceedings, of course. You do need to file, though, that you want that. It's not just a given that things are taken away. There's You actually have to have a proceeding because the individual certainly has and uh, gets a right and opportunity to argue that some of the things that you are trying to take are not um, a part of any, it, it, they were not derived from the criminal proceeds. And this is important. And this is often where the family stuff comes into play as well, because these, in, in this case in particular, just sticking with Jen, Sharif and their kids, you have two grown people with kids that are around college age. I think, I think I, she said the one son was like going to grad school, but she wanted him to go to medical school or something like that. But and, and then the other son may have been high school-ish, but he wasn't really on the show very much um, like the other kids. But um, the bottom line is you have a bunch of people who are grown or are near grown. Both of them work. There is, and, and for a time, uh, I don't know what Jen did prior to 2012, but we do know that her and Sharif were still good and grown even then, and that he has always had a career. Um, I don't know when he got out of law school, if that's something he did immediately when his um, football ended or what, because I don't know if he went to the pros 
or if the injury happened even before he got to that point. But it doesn't sound like based even based on the way that they showed it on television that his career went that far. Whatever that career ending injury was um, happened sort of on the cusp of whatever he was going to do, because trust, if he was a pro athlete, they would have said so. I know a guy who claims to this day that he played professional football. It is on his resume. It is the first thing he says whenever he walks in any room. And literally all he did was go to the training camp, which was kind of arranged really, and never even made it out of camp. Uh, you know, the practice camp things they do in the summer, never even made it, not a walk on, not a recruit, nothing. So trust if he had even gotten within smelling distance of a professional team, we would have heard about it. So he worked. And there is certainly an argument to be made that a good portion of what they have, at least that is what he's going to argue. I'm not saying it's true. But an attorney from the family is damn sure going to argue that a good portion of what they have, other than her personal belongings, things that were specifically in her name, let's say she has a car or even some other properties, um, some things that she possibly uh, purchased to in an attempt to hide money along with Stuart, that's fine. But anything that is in the name of Sharif Shaw or anything that is even has both of our names on it, I put her name on it because she's my wife, not because she paid for it. When it comes to taking care of the home and the family, I did that. The money that she made was her fun money for buying her expensive shoes and handbags and all of her stuff so that she can go hang out with her friends. And again, great argument to make because that lifestyle, and, and I'm not even talking about the home, I'm just talking about even the accoutrement that comes along with being that girl. That lifestyle is expensive. You know, Hermes bags and fur coats and uh, Louboutin shoes and Jimmy Choo and whoever else, your Pradas, your clothes, um, all of those things, your Chanel, are, those things are extremely expensive. Even on the lower end, some of those bags, the cheap ones are 10 grand. And now I'm talking about, you know, Chanel or or your um, your Hermes. But I mean, on the average end, depending on the type of things that she liked, twenty, thirty thousand dollars the fur coats. I mean, if you're adults, you know that they're expensive. The shoes, upwards of a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars. So there is a great argument to be made. Now, again, it depends on how much money we're talking about. I mean, if we're talking millions and millions and millions, and your argument is she totally spent that on her, on herself and everything in the house I did, then you better have a closet or a storage locker somewhere to prove that. But if we're talking, you know, several hundred thousand a year, several hundred thousand a year, in the right hands, 
uh, of a person who likes the finer things in life could go very quickly, very easily. Hell, you buy a car and a couple of bags and you know, you've knocked out 300 grand right there, depending on what of, you know, what you buy as it relates to those things. So, you know, it's entirely possible that um, he can make that argument. Will he win it? Hell no, but it's a great, <laughs> but it's a great argument to make. That's the defense attorney in me. So that is all we have so far. As I said, I am going to be your eyes and ears staying on top of um, any further developments that comes out about this. But right now, what we know is bad enough. I mean, certainly we want the details, how and when and all of that, but that's it for now. So thank you all for coming out. As you know, and this certainly proves it, that if you're thinking about it and want to talk about it, chances are I'm thinking about it and want to talk about it with you, especially when it involves some good juicy stuff where I can also put on my legal hat for you as well and we can dissect these cases. So stay tuned for Let's Be Honest to Let's Be Honest for all of the many awesome topics that we talk about, fun and serious. And also make sure that you look out for Just Jonda's LBD, that's our legal breakdown, which is going to, for obvious reasons, be kicking up more than its normal projected once a week. It's going to be twice, possibly even uh, two during the week and maybe one on the weekend because of the Derek Chauvin case. And I don't want us to get too far behind on the Erica Jane, Tom Girardi stuff. And I also did pull, and then this broke and totally sent me to the left. I did pull off of the federal system, um, the criminal, uh, I'm sorry, the civil complaint in the case of Nike versus Lil Nas X and the, um, and the company that he worked with in developing the, I don't know, what are they calling it? The Satan sneaker or the 666 shoe, whatever. The bottom line is Nike is saying that they totally ripped their Nike Air Max design in hell, even at the naked eye. I'm like, for real guys, you didn't know that that shoe looks exactly like that one. But hell, Pharrell apparently uh, didn't think that blurred line sounded just like the Marvin Gaye song. And even after Tracy Chapman told Nicki Minaj no about using her song, she did it anyway. So stranger things have happened. But I will also be dissecting that case. That case, not exactly as high on our priority list. So that is probably going to be a part of our weekend edition. But we'll see. I may find some extra time since it's spring break. So we'll work on it. In the meantime, you know where we came, where we were coming from. You know where we're going. Stay tuned and um, make sure that you follow us on all of the social media networks on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Let's Be Honest JJ. That's L-E-T-S-B-E-H-O-N-E-S-T-J-J for Just Jonda. Or you can join us over on the Fashion and Drama Diaries on Facebook where we talk about all kinds of good stuff every single day. 
feel free to DM me. I am, I keep promising, I'm going to set up an email so that you can ask me legal questions and, and just kind of let me know what's going on in your part of the world that you want to talk about. So I am definitely excited to continue these discussions with you. Thank you and good night. Thank <laughs> you.